When I was a kid, I was really, really into superheroes, and especially these very instructive books called comic books. What was great about them, they're about 16 or 32 pages, not a lot of words, lots of action. I loved them. And uh, I loved the superhero idea. These larger-than-life characters that, you know, nothing could really hurt them. They were invincible. They could do stuff like fly. They could, like, see into cool stuff and zap you with their eyeballs. I always thought that was cool. And part of, part of well, if, I, if, I'm, if I'm honest, I think part of why I was into superheroes is because when I was a kid, I was a little bit pudgy. I wore thick glasses. I've always had glasses. And I was asthmatic. And I think part of my, my excitement about a superhero is that they didn't have any of those things. They were never teased in school. When that, that movie Benji came out in the 70s, it kind of ruined me because kids are so nice in elementary school. I was Benji the dog, even though I, I was always telling people I spell it differently. I'm very different. But I wanted that superhero thing. You know, I wanted to be able to stop those people making fun of me. And, and, and unfortunately, in my life, when I started learning about God, back in Sunday school days, I sort of took my superhero fascination and I sort of projected it on God. And maybe I'm not alone in this room on that. Sometimes maybe we have views of God that, you know, aren't really mature. As a kid, I kind of viewed God as a bit of a superhero. That God would just come in and leap tall buildings in a single bound and outrun a train. That's kind of, you know, when I looked at God and later learned about Jesus, I kind of saw them as like superhero sorts of people that would never let anything bad happen to me. That's some of my early views of who God is. And I don't think I'm alone in this. Sometimes we have views of God that may need to go away. In, in, in 2010, the ABC News outlet did some surveys of people, and they found that Oftentimes, our concepts or our views of God that we develop as kids sort of travel with us in life. And as we mature, we kind of don't shed those early views of God. We kind of bring them up to speed. And unfortunately, and maybe you've discovered this, those views of God were not very mature and not helpful. And, and so the ABC News was saying that it's really impactful. What we think of God as kids really translates. They ask a bunch of children in this survey to, to draw God. Have you ever had to do that, try to draw God? <laughs> How do you do that? But when people draw God, when kids draw God, they would often draw sort of a, 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 like a man on a throne with a beard. That's often how kids would draw God. Or, or they might draw God as like a, a big smiley face or, or a shining sun or even like a, a cross-legged Buddha type. I mean, when you ask kids to draw, they're just really honest and they, they draw these these concepts that they have of God. And the article talked about four main views that people have of God. And maybe you've thought this at some point in your life, or you know people that think of God like this. Because I think, and here's, here's the spoiler alert for this entire series, I think sometimes people have rejected God that we don't believe in. They have rejected Christianity, they've walked away from the church believing a God that we don't believe in. They've gotten a, a really goofed up, messed up idea of God and that is, 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 is not helpful. And so we're going to be talking about that in this series. But the four views that, that you'll find a lot, and this is the biggest one, this is the judgmental God. You know what I'm talking about? Kind of the, that authoritative God 
in the sky that just can't wait for you to screw up. So we can kind of fly in and punish you. Like some you know, angry judge wants to get you. And he's just trying to make a case against you. And some people look at God that way as uh, some kind of judgmental God. About a quarter of the people that were surveyed in that, in that study, they looked at God as like um, sort of a benevolent God. Kind of on the other extreme, some people look at God as this sort of the Santa Claus sort of character that would, would never tell you, not discipline you. Whatever you, whatever you want, that God is going to give you. You just got to ask. It's kind of like this benevolent God floating up there just wanting to shine some happy clouds on you. And that's another view of God. Some other views, like distant God, some people view God as, as sort of like this, this creator of the planet and then took a long extended vacation. Like he created everything and he's like, okay, humans, have fun with the earth. I'll see you some, sometimes somewhere. As if he was sort of this clockmaker that made this great clock and then took off and said, you, you work on it. Some people look at God that way. And, and other people look at God, and depending on your personality type, you, you, you might look at God as the critical God. The God that is sort of a perfectionist. And you better, you better kind of do things just so, or he's not going to like that. And so some people look at God as this critical, always kind of con condemning them for, you know, coloring outside the lines. And so these prevail. Well, here's, here's what's crazy. A couple years ago, the Pew Research Center did a study, and they found that in America, and this blows my mind, I still, I, I still I can't get around this, but 90% of the people that were surveyed in the United States said they believe in God or a higher power. Even in this tech world that we're in, right, you'd think that that number would be way lower, wouldn't you? I mean, I thought that, and I had to look that up again. 90% of people in America, as of 2018, still believed in a higher power. Now, many of them do not believe in the God of the Bible. About 30%, about a third people say, no, we don't believe in the God of the Bible. And whenever people say that, it always, it always begs more questions for me. When they say, I don't believe in the God of the Bible, I want to know, well, who do you think that God is? I want to know more questions. Like, if you're rejecting God, who, what sort of God are you rejecting? Are, are, are you rejecting false ideas of who you think God is? Are you rejecting what social media says God is? Are you rejecting maybe what you learned in Sunday school as a kid and Something like that, where you, what, what image of God, what Christian God are you rejecting when you say you don't believe in that one? I think many people in our culture find themselves struggling with God because they're sitting on false views of who God is. Views that are not the God we see revealed in Scripture and creation. And I think sometimes people walk away from church, they walk away from faith, they walk away from Jesus believing in a God we don't believe in. That's not even in Scripture. And so we want to do whatever we can to help people see who God really is. And we're going to see in this series that God revealed himself pretty well when he put on flesh and walked among us. And when we look at the person of Jesus, that's who God really is. So what we're hoping for in this whole next several weeks is we're trying to take these bad views, goofy views, wrong views of God and debunk those. Because God isn't just up there trying to be some kind of bodyguard God for you where he's going to bubble wrap your life and never let anything bad happen. We're going to see a God who actually walks with us when difficulty happens. 
See, we're trying to get rid of these views of God that are not helpful and, and views that we ought to reject. That's the views we're talking about today. We're going to lean into Scripture. I hope you brought your Bible your, or your tablet or your vice. I want you to, to get that handy. We're going to be looking at the very first sentence in the Bible. See if you can find it. I'm Pastor Ben. I'm glad you're here joined us. Whether that be online, we see you. Hello. Or you're here in person. It's great to gather. We gather like Christ followers all over the globe on Sunday. Every Sunday's Resurrection Sunday. We talked about it last week on Easter. That was a good day too. But every Sunday's Resurrection Sunday because that was the day that tomb was empty and it changed human history forever. So that's why we gather. We lift up the name of Jesus. Until he comes back, we want to be about the king's business right here uh, here and, and the not yet. So let's pray together and get into today's message on mythical God number one, the superhero bodyguard God. Let's pray. Father, we come before you because you're good. You're mighty and powerful. And Father, I pray that you'd help us to have the right view of who you are, not get a, a view clouded by, by culture or even a view that we had as kids. But Father, we would see you as you really are. And Father, we would see your love being so great for us and for everyone that we meet. So, Father, help us lean in. May your Holy Spirit move in a powerful way and that, again, we would see truly who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, you don't even need probably to, to pull that up on your device. You know this first verse by heart probably. It's up on the screen, so you're cheating now. But you know this. In the beginning, what do we find out? What's the set? In the beginning, God. And what's he doing? He's creating the heavens and the earth first several words we find in the beginning, God. So right away we got to wrestle with God because we don't know, there's no backstory here as far as we, you know, right, right from that sentence, right? If, we, if this is brand new to the Bible, if that's where we're starting, we don't get the backstory. And people sometimes will say, well, what happened, you know, what, what, what happened, who, who created God? Or you start to get into these weird mental gymnastics and but all we're confronted with is in the beginning, God. We don't, we don't see whether he's a good God. We don't know if he's superhero God. We don't know if he's critical God. We don't know if he's judgmental God or Santa Claus God. We're just told what, one more time, in the beginning, God. We are confronted. So, yes, Scripture, don't, they don't really, the, the whole of the Bible doesn't really contain like one paragraph that explains here is exactly who God is. We don't get a definition like that. But what we do get through every page of Scripture it bleeds through of who God is, and especially when we get to Jesus, we really get to see who, in fact, this God is. So all the pages of Scripture inform who God really is. And we'll see that as we get into the series. In the beginning, God. So right away, we're confronted with that. Then what happens next? We find him creating stuff. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Okay, Before... He did that. They weren't around. I'm just, I'm just reading it, right? Before we, okay, didn't exist, and he created them. Every time that Hubble telescope gave us more and more pictures of the universe, amazing, beautiful. You've probably seen some of those on the NASA website. He created all that. Okay, that's what we're confronted with. So right away, we find out that he, he exists, and he's creative. So first attribute of God from the first sentence is that not only did he exist, but he's creative. How many feel like you're creative in this room? See, even if you're not a visual artist or a musician, you're creating stuff all the time. You're creating stuff. Some of you are very creative. You just don't realize. Your God is a creative God. 
So if we're made in his image, which we find out in scripture, then we too have some creative stuff in us, just part of our DNA. It's part of that God stamp on us. But in the beginning, God, and he's creating stuff. What else do we find? If we, if we go a few more chapters, if you've got your Bible still open, you've got you know, chapter 2, what do we find there? God created humanity, and then what's, did he just say, okay, we'll see you later. What does he do? What does he do? What do we see God doing? He's, having, he's got a relationship with our first ancestors, our first human you know, parents. He's got a relationship, and he's hanging out, and he's having conversations. So we see a relational God, a creative God, and we see a relational God. He wants to be in a relationship. And we'll see a little bit later, even when sin enters the picture. Does anybody know what chapter of the Bible that is? Genesis 3. We didn't get very far. <laughs> but even there... He still wants to be in a relationship with us, which blows my mind. He still wants, and even when sin got in the way, he had a plan. That would come a little bit later in the story, but we know the rest of the story. He's a relational God. He's creative. And we also find in the scripture, and you can look this up. You can Google this. God is light. It's happened several times. The statement just says, God is light. What does light do in our world? I mean, just... There's no wrong answer. What does light do? <clears throat> yeah, makes me happy. I like sunshine. I feel better. Some of you, you know, you've been, we all live through rain around here. Sun makes us feel good. But what does sun also do? It kind of helps. We're, we're planting gardens right now. What, is, what do we got to have? We got some sunshine. And, and you know, we couldn't even see color. Did you know that? If there was no light, we wouldn't even see color. And we have beautiful colors all around us. Even us humans have colors. We're beautiful. All these colors. We wouldn't see any of that without light. So light brings life. It brings color. All this beautiful thing. And, and the scriptures say that God is light. I, I can't get my mind around that. But without that, we, would, we wouldn't exist. God is light. And the scriptures also say that God is love. He's love. And, and, and the word there is, is, is sort of a, this huge, big love that isn't dependent on how good we are. That's how big his love is. Most of the love that we know, in our, if we're honest, we say we love you here. Us humans, there's always strings attached to that love. God, no strings attached. He loved you already when you were born. You hadn't even gotten into trouble yet, and God already loved you. You're in trouble now, and God still loves you. So, God is love. So, this you see what we're doing? We're, we're debunking some of this. These views that, that sometimes people have of God, we need to blow them out of the water because they're not true and they're not helpful and they don't grow in life. They don't, they don't mature. These need to be left behind. God is light. He's love. He's creative. And over and over again, we find even in the Old Testament, now I have heard this and maybe you've heard it too, there's this idea that there's a God of the Old Testament. You heard this? There's the angry God of the Old Testament Real, real grumpy dude who likes to just smite people. And then the God of the New Testament is this 70s, you know, hair model, Jesus, who just wants to love. Have you heard this before? Am I alone on this? You've heard that, right? The angry Old Testament God and the real nice Jesus-y guy in the New Testament. You've heard this before, right? Probably the most common on any of these uh, social media channels. You hear this over and over again. You know what's interesting is over and over in the Old Testament, God is described as being slow to anger, faithful in love and mercy. And he had to show that to these people called the Israelites. 
In fact, God even said to the Israelites, and this, we're talking about Torah, first five books of the Bible, right? We studied that, I think, last year, the year before. Super important to understand Christianity. You need to understand how this thing happened. But the whole Torah, God was saying, look, if you'll trust me, this, this is kind of the story of Scripture. People, if you just trust me, things are going to go well. If you don't, you go on your own way, it's going to go sideways really fast. Some of us have lived lives long enough to know that that's true. But he said, trust me, and he even told the Israelites, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure your clothes don't wear out. You, you can look this up. Your clothes don't wear out. There's a whole list. Your clothes won't wear out. Your crops will always be great. Um, your shoes will never wear out. They didn't, they didn't have shoes, but you know what I mean? Everything's going to work out. Your crops are going to be great. Nobody's ever going to attack you. You're always going to have the best of best if you just trust me. And what did the Israelites do? They trusted God. Sometimes. Oftentimes they didn't. But even when they disobeyed, the description of God in the Old Testament is slow to anger, abounding in love, merciful. We've got to stop doing this to God, putting on views of God that are not biblical. They're not right. God is showing love and mercy and grace. Slow to anger. We don't meet in the scriptures this superhero bodyguard God that never lets difficult things happen. He doesn't cause the difficulty to happen, but we find instead a God who actually goes in our mess. Some of you have been in some messes. God promises to... We even memorize a scripture in the Psalms. Some of you don't even know you have too many things memorized, but you might have this one down. Psalm 23. In the middle of it says, Yea, and I, I learned it in King James, so forgive me. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the what? Of the happy place. Nope. Shadow of death. Some of you have had to face down death. You've had a death of a loved one. God never promises that it's all going to be happy-go-lucky. He's saying, look, I understand the world is a broken place. I love you, and I'm going to walk with you through the valley of the shadow of death. I'm going to be with you. That's the kind of God that we meet in Scripture. Not some goofy, superhero, bodyguard guard. So, ultimately, the God who we see in Scripture is ultimately revealed in Jesus. In fact, Jesus did a, a three-year ministry with, I always call them the smelly football team, but the guys that followed him around, the disciples, uh, they were a mixed bag. They really were. They all came from different you know, viewpoints, and many of them probably Pharisees, actually, uh, in that Pharisaical group. That's kind of most, most Jews were, because you went to synagogue, and, and so a lot of times the Pharisees get a bad rap, I think. Uh, but they were actually trying to, to do what was right. They just got a little, little confused. But these, these 12 would follow Jesus, and you would think by three years, they would have figured out Jesus is God. He is the Father. And you'd think, yeah, if I were one of the disciples, I would have got it right away. I mean, he's walking on water. He's raising people from the dead. He's feeding thousands of people. He can fish, and he doesn't even have a license, and Jesus is fishing. He's doing all these things. You'd think they would have got it. But listen to this in John 14. This is one of his inner circle, one of his smelly football team. This is the quarterback. I don't know. John chapter 14, starting with verse 8, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father. This was the final couple of weeks of Jesus' life. He's had all this teaching time. And what does Philip ask right here? Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. And Jesus said to him, I mean, just put yourself in the room for a second. I mean, what is, what's the face showing? What's Jesus' face? Is he... Is he looking at Philip like, I can't believe you're asking me this question right now. 
I mean, they're probably, uh, it was probably a meal. I mean, is Jesus looking around at the other guys like, are you all on the same? Do you, haven't you been with me? What? So Jesus said to him, have I, have I been with you so long and you still don't know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I don't speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his work. He's basically saying, I and the Father are one. And Philip, you still don't get it. He revealed himself. And as we see in the life of Jesus, and shortly after this happened, Jesus goes to the cross. We celebrated the resurrection last week. He goes to the cross. He rises from the dead. But here's the real reason we can't believe in a God that's a superhero bodyguard guard. We cannot believe in that sort of God because Christianity is based on the cross and resurrection. And that is the ultimate bad thing to happen to anybody. God himself had a bad thing happen to him. And he did it willfully. And he did it with love in his eyes. In fact, the scriptures even say, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He did it with a smile and it's crazy love. I don't even understand that kind of love. But Christianity is based on a beautiful and tragic event. You can't look at a cross and not think that. It's based on the cross and resurrection. It's beautiful, but it's also tragic. That's one of the big reasons we can't believe in this God anymore. This God does not work. This isn't how, how it really works. Followers of Jesus understood this was the founding. When those ladies went to that tomb and they saw that it was empty and the reality hit those early followers, they were never based on the cross and resurrection. That's why we don't believe in a God that's just some superhero bodyguard guard that doesn't, never lets anything bad happen. The ultimate bad happened to Jesus. Now we get to another scripture I want to read for you, and it's in Hebrews. If you have your Bible or device, you can find Hebrews chapter 4. And I really recommend reading the book of Hebrews. It's, a, it's kind of an interesting book in the New Testament. It's told from a very Jewish perspective, but we have a faith that's very built in Jewish literature. And this book of Hebrews is a great way to look at how Jesus played into all of the story of the Old Testament. It really helps kind of put it all together. Uh, and, in, and in chapter 4, I want to read a few verses here. Chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. See, the ultimate bad thing happened to Jesus. We can't believe in this sort of God. It doesn't exist. Listen to Hebrews 4. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we, listen to this, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. He gets it. He's not this impenetrable superhero God that's just kind of above all of us lame humans. The scriptures say, uh-uh. He put on flesh got right in the mix and looked us right in the eye and said, I love you that much. This is the God we believe in. Not some superhero crazy. Look, when we think about the life of Jesus, even the scripture will say in Philippians 2 that he, he, uh, he, he was humble. 
that he, he didn't just keep the God part, he actually kept the God part, put on humanity, and was humble. Hebrews 2 talks about his humility. He, he experienced everything. We, he experienced loss. He cried. Is that, does that bother your view of God? That he cried. He wept. When things hurt you, it hurts him. It puts a tear in his eye. I know that seems crazy to believe. He, he, that's, this is the God we believe in. The God that, that understands our weaknesses. Went through it. He weeps. He suffered greatly because how much he fiercely loved us. This is the God that the scriptures talk about. That doesn't sound like some superhero float above the mist God. That's a God who came right down and said, I'm going to give you my love message directly. Face to face, flesh to flesh. That's the God we believe in. we got to move past these childhood perceptions of who God is. And maybe God's going to use you to help somebody else get past these views of God that are not real and they're not revealed in Scripture. In Scripture, we see a God who's not this superhero bodyguard God, never letting anything bad happen, but one who goes into our valleys of the shadows of death and sometimes even cries with us. That's someone I can get behind. That's a God who loves me despite how goof, goofball I am. As preacher Tim Keller often is quoted as saying, we are far more loved than we realize, even though we are way more sinful than we even want to admit. Both of those are true. And God enters into our difficulty. He understands our weakness. That's who we believe in. Listen to what Matthew 5 said. If you still have a Bible or device, I encourage you, Sermon on the Mount is probably one of the passages I go back to over and over again. Jesus says so much in those two chapters that just blows my mind. But at the end of chapter 5 in Matthew, we find out that storms and difficulties, it's the reality of human life. Life on this planet. Jesus says in verse 44, But I say to you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons and daughters of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. Jesus didn't hide it. Difficulty's going to happen. In fact, he even said, in this world, you won't have trouble. Well, I might have misquoted that. In this world, you what? Will have trouble. But take heart, he said, I have overcome the world. The worst of the world could give me. I have overcome that. He understands our weakness, and he walks with us in the weakness. And he's still calling us, like he did in the Old Testament, those good old Israelites, trust me. God is still asking for us to trust him. I know it's difficult when we've been praying, asking for something, and just, it's just the timing isn't always what we want, but God is just saying, hey, trust me. When, when, when political, political things go crazy, God is still saying, trust me. When things go crazy in the world, God is still saying, trust me. It's one of the hardest things, but it's so beautiful when we can actually trust him. You, you, you might be thinking, oh, Ben, you haven't made a good enough case yet. Okay, let's go to one more person. If you're familiar with the Old Testament stories, even back in the Sunday school days, they still, they still had that when I was a kid. But there was a story of a guy named Joseph in the Old Testament. Do you know much about the story of Joseph? He was the, one of the younger sons of Jacob. And you can find this, I think, in like, what, uh, maybe Genesis 30, 35, I want to say, somewhere in there. You can quote me on that. But around there, we, we meet this guy, Joseph, and he's a kiddo. And as a teenager, 
He was really, really stuck on himself. In fact, his brothers couldn't stand him. And he was kind of the favorite of dad, which made it even probably worse for his brothers. But he loved to like share dreams that he had about how great he is and how they were all going to bow down to him. And, ooh, check out this coat that dad got me. Isn't it great? You know? His brothers couldn't stand him. And it got to the point where they're like, let's get rid of him, let's fake his death, and let's sell him. I mean, your, your siblings might have been tough when you were growing up. They sold him. I think that's crossing the line a little bit. You know what I mean? Sold him, and we find this sordid tale. I mean, this tale is crazy. You can read it. But he gets so, so they faked his death. He gets sold. He starts working for a family. The, 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 the lady of the house frames him for rape. And so then he's got to go to prison. Now, in this process of his life, he goes from kind of this cocky little teenager. And in this process, you can tell God is maturing him. And what did God use to mature him? Difficulties. Difficulties. And guess what? All the way through that story, you can read it. Several times you hear the phrase, and the Lord was with Joseph. Wait, he was with him in prison? That doesn't seem, right? Our sensibilities say, no, if he was really with me, I wouldn't be in prison. God used this time. There are lessons we have to learn by difficulty. I wish that weren't so. You've done it. You've seen it. You've seen it in your life. I wish we could learn all the great lessons with ever, without ever having anything bad happen to us. But that's not reality, and that's not who God is. And he didn't create these bad situations. It wasn't God's fault that he was framed for rape. That was the lady of the house's fault. But God allowed and was with Joseph. When you're going through difficulty times, when you're going through difficulties, you think you can't make it, the Lord is with you. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he's with me. God is asking us to trust the story. He asked Joseph to trust the story. Now, if you know the rest of the story, Joseph has to sit in prison for a couple years. He, he sort of gains favor with the folks in prison. Uh, and then guess what? The phrase says the Lord was with him, even in prison. Then he got a turnaround in his story. Next, he gets kind of pulled in by the Pharaoh. And what happens next? I mean, he saves his whole family. Now, that is a cool story. The Lord was with him, but, but it was through difficulty. God is asking for you and I to trust him because bad stuff happens. Prison happens. Difficult divorces happen. People that we love pass away. And it's not our fault, it's not their fault. Difficulties. And you know what? God weeps with us and he's with us in that. And he's still asking us to trust him. And here's my only point today. You probably already saw it coming a mile away. God is good. We can trust him and bad things happen. God is good. And bad things happen. He still asks us to trust him. Trust the story. Look, our childhood views of God will not mature. These are things we need to throw away. If you've got people in your life that are still seeing God that way, you have a golden opportunity to show them who God really is. Revealed in Jesus. A God of mercy who understands weakness, that walks with us when it's difficult. Look, folks, God is good. We can trust him. And bad things happen. Imagine a people like us, our church, could be people to show who really God is. Not these childhood views of God that are false and misleading and hurtful, but a God who loves us dearly and fiercely. He loved us before we were ever born. 
That's the God of the scriptures. Not some superhero body God, God, God but a God who, who walks into our difficulty. I want to pray here in a minute to close it out, but if you have a next step to take today, maybe you've never said yes to Jesus, you've never been said yes to having him as your Lord and Savior, you could do that today. Maybe you just need prayer. I encourage you to take your next step. We all have next steps, no matter where we're at in our journey. So I encourage you to take that next step today. Even online, you could do that. But let's, uh, let's pause for a word of prayer. Father, we come before you. We know that you're powerful and mighty and that you're so much more than some goofy superhero God. Father, you are amazing and powerful. You are light. You are creative. You, you want to be in a relationship with us. It's so amazing. Thank you for, for putting on flesh, walking amongst us, and, and being able to show us directly how much you love us, how, how much your fierce love is for us. And so, Father, help us to lean in and, and to, to not only get to know the, the, the real you, but to help other people really see the real you. And Father, may that be a powerful story in our community, in our families, in our, in our workplaces. And God, may you get all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.